And uh, now we turn to Habakkuk, <laughs> not frequently visited, I wager. Um, he's in a bit of a state, and uh, as he uh, waits for God to respond to his recent complaints, um, you'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just see how, uh, how he's coping and, uh, and how God responds. But uh, you'll see from this amplified version that there are a number of additions to try and aid meaning. If you find them a distraction, please just, just shut your eyes and just listen. And hopefully um, that uh, might help you, but others might find the, the explanations helpful. Oh, I know I have been rash to talk out plainly this way to God. I will, in my thinking, stand upon my post of observation and station myself on the tower or fortress and and will watch to see what he will say within me and what answer I will make as his mouthpiece to the perplexities of my complaint against him. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and engrave it so plainly upon tablets that everyone who passes by may be able to read it easily and quickly as he hastens by. For the vision is yet for an appointed time and it hastens to the end, its fulfilment. It will not deceive or disappoint. Though it tarry, wait earnestly for it because it will surely come. It will not be behind hand on its appointed day. Look at the proud. His soul is not straight or right within him. But the rigidly just and the uncompromisingly righteous man shall live by his faith and in his faithfulness. So you may want to turn to the book of Habakkuk because we're going to be looking at some of this uh, as I speak today. Um, I haven't got a Bible here, but uh, when uh, someone finds it, if they look up Habakkuk chapter 2 and say the, uh, the page number, uh, and it's quite a hard book to find because it's so little, we turn to it. Uh, so 374? 874. Okay, so it's on page 874. Hopefully you've all got the same version. No, they haven't got the same version. Okay, so it's good. Okay, well, I'm going to be speaking from the New International Version, so you may be able to follow it in whichever Bible you've got there. So our verses this morning come from uh, within the first half of the book of Habakkuk and within uh, or as part of Habakkuk's second complaint before the Lord. And it would be helpful to set his words in context. So Habakkuk is a prophet of God in the Old Testament and he's burdened by a number of wrongdoings within his society. Violence, injustice, destruction, strife and conflict. So he, as the NIV titles it, complains to the Lord. 
You see, he struggles to understand why the Lord is not listening to his cry for help. In verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Why you do not save? You see, it seems to Habakkuk that God is happy to tolerate such evils abounding in the world around him. Even in verse 4, the law is paralyzed so that justice never prevails. Indeed, justice is perverted. The wicked, in other words, are using the law to their own advantage, to oppress, to trap, to hem in the righteous. And God seems to be doing nothing about it. He seems to be standing idly by. And you can hear the despair in the prophet's plea. His people are oppressed and afflicted. Why, O oh God, why, where is your rescue plan? You know, it's an age-old question to an age-old problem. We may find ourselves crying out, why, God, don't you do something? And then we hear the Lord's answer. You see, God makes it clear in this moment that Habakkuk and his listeners are to pay attention. They are to lift up their eyes from their own circumstances and see the bigger picture of what God is up to. In verse 5, look at the nations and watch. You see, what God was about to do would utterly amaze them. In fact, what God was about to do would be unimaginable, incomprehensible, unprecedented, even unbelievable. In verse 5, For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. How slow we are to believe. Even when God tells us. You know, sometimes we can't see a way out. We can't see the solution. We cannot solve the problem. Yet we have a God who reveals himself to be far greater than we are. His ways and thoughts are far higher than ours. And he uses any and every means at his disposal to bring about his purposes. In fact, he employs the world stage and has a global reach. And he uses all and sundry, even those who we'd, he, we would not think possible or desirable. And it is here that God sends Habakkuk reeling with his solution. The answer to his prayers, as God reveals horror of horror in verse 6, that I am raising up the Babylonians. Babylonians. 
You can imagine Habakkuk's shock. I can imagine him sitting there shaking his head, trying to take it all in. The Babylonians? Don't you realize, God, what kind of people you're dealing with? Well, yes, God does. In fact, he describes them to us, himself, his own words in verses 6 to 11. See, the Babylonians are a people who are ruthless and impetuous. They are feared and dreaded. They all come intent on violence. You wouldn't want to mess with them or meet them in a dark alley, for he describes them as being a law to themselves. They care not for the honor of others, for they promote their own honor. In other words, they're out for themselves. And they have a particular way of destroying and consuming other nations. They sweep across the whole earth. See, their reach is boundless. Their hordes advance like a desert wind. They sweep past like the wind and go on, on and on to their next conquest. Their advance is relentless. They take whoever they want. They gather prisoners like the sand. They are merciless. They take whatever they want. They seize dwellings, not their own. They are pitiless. And don't think of outrunning them. Because their horses are swifter than leopards. And you won't match their stamina or strength. For their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They are heartless. And don't think of trying to fight them. For they are fiercer than wolves at dusk. You've got no hope against them. They are ravenous. And if you think you'll hide, they'll spot you a mile off. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They are ruthless. And if you think you can protect yourself and barricade yourself in and be safe, well, they laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps they capture them. They are ingenious in their wickedness. And even if you are a high and mighty one, uplifted in the eyes of your own people, you will be as nothing to the Babylonians. For they mock kings and they scoff at rulers. They are dauntless. The Babylonians are, in God's own words, a guilty people whose own strength is their God. They are fundamentally idolatrous. What an awful people. Yet an awesome God is going to use them to bring about his purposes among his people. You see, God can and will use anyone. God will use anyone he chooses to do his will. Now, as you well imagine, this would leave Habakkuk, it may leave you with some questions, more questions, even more befuddlement. Has God even answered his question about unjust suffering? See, Habakkuk knows the Lord. 
in verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. See, God is the one who is from the beginning and to the end. He has no beginning, he has no end. He is over all and above all and before all and after all. Nothing escapes his attention and nothing is outside of his reach or his power. Yet Habakkuk cannot escape the seeming injustice of it all and contrariness to what he knows to be God's character. I mean, how can a good God use such evil? He could comprehend what God was saying all too well about the Babylonians as an instrument of punishment. Verse 12, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. But it all seemed to fly in the face of what he understood to be God's holiness, love and mercy, his compassion and justice. In verse 13, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? In fact, in Habakkuk's eyes, God was going too far. God was going beyond his own remit. In using the wicked, he seems complicit. The wicked Babylonians, Habakkuk makes clear to God, would go too far. To use the analogy of overfishing, they would fish too far. Verse 14, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The, The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. In other words, God's people would be completely destroyed. They would be overfished. They would be decimated, never able to recover. What kind of a God would do that to his own people whom he had redeemed and claimed to love? And what is more, the victorious Babylonians will not acknowledge God as the Lord in their accomplishments. Instead, their idols and their gods would get the credit, for they only worship their own strength and resourcefulness anyway. The Babylonian victor, we read, rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. And the Babylonians' gain would lead them to live in luxury and enjoy the choicest food. Their gain will be God's loss. His name and honor of God will be ridiculed. How can God allow such a thing to happen? Is he ignorant? Is he powerless? Or worse, is God in cahoots with those who show no mercy? Does God ally himself with the unmerciful Babylonian? In verse 17, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And with that, Habakkuk, the exasperated Habakkuk, stands back and waits for an answer. 
in chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. In fact, I would say he half thinks that God's going to rebuke him for such insolence. And he prepares himself as to, one translation puts it, what to answer when I am rebuked or corrected. Am I allowed, perhaps he's thinking, to ask such questions of the Almighty? I mean, does the clay speak back to the potter? Does the donkey speak back to its master? Does the servant question the king? Is God or his, God's motives or his ways even questionable? Yet... Habakkuk and we look and see a broken and unjust world and we have questions. What else are we to do with them? Where else are we to bring them but to God? You may well be, we may well be, like Habakkuk, those who have big questions about life, about suffering, about injustice, about good and evil. Why do people get away with it? Why do the innocent suffer? Is God in control? Does God care? Is God aware? We need to ask these questions and watch and wait. As though we were looking intently for an answer, for a glimmer of a movement like a sentry looking out, stationed on guard, a lookout for the answer to come its way to us. And indeed, God answers. Verse 2, then the Lord replied, And what is more, God wanted Habakkuk to write the answer down. This would be a revelation not only to him, but to us, to all who would read it. There is an answer, you see, to such questions. Verse 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. This was an answer that was to be swiftly shared with others. Yet... It was an answer that had its fulfillment in the future. In verse 3, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. You know, this phrase in the Hebrew can also be translated and may favorably be translated Though he linger, wait for him. He will certainly come and will not delay. You see, God is sending his answer. And I would suggest that these verses point to the answer being himself, being sent to us. As we read through the whole of scriptures, we find that God sends himself 
at just the right time. Never too late. God is never too late. And this is his answer. His answer. And it is an answer that we read is to be received by faith. Habakkuk reminds us that the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or by his faith. This is a a quote, a scripture that many of the New Testament writers take and understand their theology from about receiving God by faith. In other words, our response to the revelation of God is to be one of faith. When it comes to the truth that he reveals, we are to be accepting, not rejecting him, as he presents himself as his own answer to injustice. See, injustice is met headlong by God himself, in himself. We can see this fulfillment ultimately in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hangs and dies upon a cross for us. The greatest injustice of all history upon God himself, met by God himself, bringing about the greatest justice of all history. And in that cross, he overcomes our enemy and the suffering, injustice, and occupation that he brings. You see, we are confronted with an enemy. The cruel and tyrannical Babylonians are a type, a representative, a picture of humanity's chief enemy, Satan, the devil. Habakkuk describes for us the Babylonians, but he could just as well be describing for us Satan and his agents in this fallen world. Hear how the Lord describes the enemy of God's people in his reply to Habakkuk. God's enemy is one who is puffed up in his pride and his own strength and own ability to destroy and conquer and consume one whose desires are not upright. And our enemy doesn't know when to stop. It's as though he is intoxicated and betrayed by his own wine. He just goes too far. He drinks himself into his own grave. We see this as he seemingly drives Christ to the cross, but it is at the cross that Satan experiences his own downfall. The enemy is arrogant. This is the height and the foundation of his sin, that of arrogance and pride, seeking to ascend to God's position. And he is never at rest. We read in the New Testament about Satan prowling round like a roaring lion, actively looking to pick people off to devour those on the fringe. He is greedy, as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. See, the Babylonian and the devil are relentless, heartless and pitiless in their pursuit, and their sights are set on all. So he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. It's as though he 
piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. He has plundered many nations. He has shed human blood, destroyed lands and cities and every, everyone in them. He has plotted the ruin of many peoples. Sadly, our world is in the grip of our enemy. Who will rescue us from him? What is more, he builds his house by unjust gains, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. He builds a city with bloodshed, establishes a town by injustice. He is one who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. He is corrupt and he is immoral. Should we be scared of such an enemy? I mean, who is in charge in our world? And we join God in God himself asking, in verse 6, I think, how long must this go on? And in verse 11, the stones of the wall will cry out, the beams of the woodwork will echo it. God hears the cry and promises our enemy his defeat. The Babylonian would fall, ultimately at the hands of another empire. And our enemy, Satan, is defeated at the cross. And so as we read on, such an enemy can therefore be taunted with ridicule and scorn. In fact, God says a number of times, woe to such an enemy. Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. The peoples who are left will plunder you. You see, he only serves to shame his own house and forfeit his own life. God replies to Habakkuk, including the whole world and all peoples who seek to frustrate the will and purposes of God, who set themselves up against God and his people in these pronouncements of judgment. In verse 13, has not the Lord Almighty determined that people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? We need to make sure that our labor is not fuel for the fire. The one who sought to trap God's people will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. And we remember how Jesus drinks the cup of the Lord's will as he hangs upon that cross, sparing us, rescuing us, redeeming us from the Lord's wrath. But in doing so, turns the tables and hands the devil the poisoned chalice. Satan's own violence towards Christ comes back upon him and overwhelms him as Jesus deals him the crushing blow, foretold right at the very beginning of creation. This is God's big plan and big solution. And God's reply to Habakkuk reminds us, therefore, to place our faith in God. And if we want it made clearer for us, then in verse 18 and 19, he reminds us not to place our trust or our faith or look to another, any idols or any other 
uh, understandings or wisdom or belief systems to save us, for they cannot save. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. So in contrast to these dead, mute idols, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So as we look and we see and we ponder the world and its suffering and injustice, and as we ask our questions, and as God reveals himself to be the answer, the one who would take upon himself all the suffering and injustice in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to bridge that gap between us, bringing that much-sought justice along with judgment upon the enemy. This is an answer that we embrace by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So may we each live by that faith in the one who loved us by sending his son to die for us. And may we be those who join him in his victory over our enemy who seeks to continue to steal, kill, and destroy. For we have Jesus, the Savior, who grants us life and life in all its fullness. Amen.